with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And coming up on today's show, a couple of interviews Sharon Hurd did last Tuesday afternoon on our Senior Moments program. She'll be talking with Catherine Burke from the new Best Western Plus and Donna Flood from the Hospice Society. But to start today's program, here is last Monday morning's front burner from CBC News. Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard. I'm one of the hosts of the CBC podcast series Uncover, and I have a new series launching this September on CIA covert experiments called Brainwashed. This week, I'll be filling in for Frontburner, and I'm happy to be here. Okay, let's get to it. Across Canada are reopening right now, but in Melbourne, Australia, it's a very different story. Stage four is here, our COVID hell far from over. Victoria is this very minute entering a state of disaster. Never in Australia's history has there been a lockdown as extreme as this Melbourne, now a ghost town, as nearly five million of the city's residents wake up to a situation which will become their new norm. The city of Melbourne has imposed some of the strictest lockdown measures in the world because of COVID-19. Police are patrolling the city streets and issuing fines if you can't prove you have a legitimate reason to be out. Anyone who tests positive for COVID can expect unannounced visits by authorities to ensure they're staying home. And everyone faces an 8 p.m. curfew. This is not a popularity contest. This is a global pandemic. Uh, We're going to get this job done. I'm deeply grateful to every Victorian who's playing their part. And to those who aren't, I've got a clear message. If you're not following the rules, you'll be caught and you will be punished. It's a surprise to many that things have come to this. Early in the crisis, Australia was a leader when it came to controlling the spread. By April, when Canada's COVID numbers were steadily increasing, Australia seemed to have a handle on the virus. They flattened their curve. But in the past few weeks, the country's numbers started climbing. On Sunday, Australia recorded its highest single-day COVID-19 death toll, and many experts fear it could get much worse. Today, I'm talking to Melissa Davey about all this. She is the Australia Bureau Chief for The Guardian newspaper, based in Melbourne. This is Frontburner. Hi, Melissa. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we've reached you in Melbourne, which, as we've heard, is the epicenter of Australia's second wave in this pandemic, and that the city is on stringent lockdown, which I want to hear about in a bit. But just to get us there, let's go back a few months. Both Australia and Canada discovered their first COVID cases on January 25th. What action did Australia take in those early days? One of the things that we did very quickly was to implement this program called Hotel Quarantine. And that was in response to the fact that the majority of Australia's cases were coming from overseas. So either people returning to Australia after travelling or travellers coming here on, on holiday or business. And so what we did is we decided to make it a rule that anyone coming to Australia from overseas, whether they were um, Australians or not, had to go straight to a hotel where they were in isolation for 14 days These hotels were guarded around Australia, so they were either monitored by Australian Defence Force personnel or police or, uh, as was the case in Victoria, uh, security officers. 
And that meant that we could contain the virus very, very quickly because we effectively cut off the main source of spread. And when you have people in hotels like that, they're very easy to monitor. It's very easy to test them, to identify cases, and then to do the contact tracing as well. So that was one of the things we did very, very quickly, and it worked very quickly as well. We know that what we've been doing has been working for some time, but this is the strongest indication yet that Australia is getting a handle on this virus. Increases are small, uh, and that should be a point of pride for every Victorian. The strategy's working. We now have a sustained and genuine flattening of the curve. So initially when we um, decided to implement various measures like social distancing and hotel quarantine, there was talk that that could continue for six months, those kind of measures. But by May, so just a couple of months later, Australia was talking about opening up again in a kind of staged process. What happened then? Because, because you were able to flatten the curve. And I remember as our numbers here in Canada were going up, we were looking to Australia and seeing that happen. And then that changed. What, what led to that change? What we first knew was that by the end of June, something very different was going on in Victoria. For a couple of weeks from around mid-June, there were double-digit rises in cases. So we were talking, you know, 15 cases and then 20-something cases. And, and it was it seemed kind of low, but when you look at the rest of Australia that had no new cases in some states week after week, then it was kind of at least worth noting. At that point, some of those cases were returned travellers, so we weren't too worried about those. But in those numbers were some cases that were unable to be immediately identified. And what happened was that crept up and up, and then by the end of June, we had about 75 new cases announced. That was on the 29th of June, which was one of the largest overnight jumps for the state since the pandemic began. I mean, and when you know, 75 new cases rings alarm bells. I guess that shows just how successfully Australia was um, handling the virus overall. So many people were trying to identify a source of blame for the spread, um, but what eventually came out was that this hotel quarantine program had a serious mistake in Victoria. Hotel quarantine. It was meant to keep COVID out. Instead, it's been the source of Victoria's second wave. We were trying to control the uh, virus, but it, the way they have done everything, I think we were spreading the virus, not controlling the virus. What happened was a couple of security guards had mingled with the travellers um, and they were travellers that were COVID-19 positive. Um, there were some reports that security guards slept with um, a couple of the returned travellers and then they went out into the community, they went into their home suburbs and the security guards spread this virus. Um, if you can imagine all of the places you might go before you get tested, before you know you've got the virus, before it gets detected, before authorities detect it, that's a lot of opportunity for spread. And it was just that, that one breach, I suppose, that really sparked a lot of this second wave in outbreak. I have announced a full inquiry. A former judge will look at that matter and get us the answers that we need. These breaches are unacceptable to me. They're unacceptable to all Victorians. That's happened, though. I can't change that. All I can do is respond to the problem. Beyond this particular case uh, with the hotel, were there any other uh, issues of community transmission? Was it, was it solely based on that and these security guards that became you know, certainly super spreaders, or were there other factors at play that can account for the rise? 
There were definitely other factors at play. Um, I mean, you have to say that with a virus like this, and, and a lot of the experts I'm speaking to say that some of it's just really bad luck. You know, you can have a case that spreads in other areas and it just doesn't um, spread quite so far. So a bit of it's luck, or bad luck, I should say. Another aspect is that when these security guards went back to their homes, they lived in areas where um, you often had quite a lot of family members living under the same roof. So we know different socioeconomic areas. Um, you might have larger families. You might have grandma and, and grandpa living under the same roof. You might have um, families visiting other big families as well. So it led to this spread amongst family groups as well. But then something really terrible happened, and, and we see this around the world. It got into aged care. And once it gets into the aged care system, it just spreads like wildfire, and that's been one of the most cruel and difficult things that Victoria has had to deal with and is still dealing with right now. How, after three deaths in the one home, do you still then wait almost a week before conducting tests on all residents? It should have been done after the first death a month ago. That's what the family said to me, or at least after the second. We need answers badly, straight away, not today. We want it today, not tomorrow. You know, we need something done today, not tomorrow. We can't wait till tomorrow. That's certainly been the case here in, in Canada. I believe it's more than 80% of our COVID-19 deaths have happened in these types of facilities. But in the early days in Australia, that didn't seem to be an issue for you. And there's been some comparisons being done between how we handle it here in Canada in terms of our long-term care facilities and how Australia handled it. Was there a change over time in why they didn't get these cases in the facilities at the beginning and then why you have it so badly now? A couple of things um, are at play. So first of all, um, aged care did have outbreaks. It was mainly in New South Wales at the beginning of the pandemic, so around Sydney, and um, a cruise ship docked in, in New, New South Wales near Sydney very early on in the pandemic, and that did lead to some uncontained spread. And it got into nursing homes, a couple in particular. Um, one was called the Dorothy Henderson Lodge, and it was devastating. But we very quickly recognised that that was an issue. And at the same time, at that point, there were still a lot of cases in returned travellers. We shut that off. We did the hotel quarantine. We stopped flights from returning. Uh, all of those measures. The difficulty with this particular outbreak in Victoria is that the spread is different. The origin is different. So... It's not being caused by those returned travellers. So simply um, cutting off travellers or, you know, even um, taking a close look at hotel quarantine, making sure people go there, it's too late. It's already out in the community. So we have had much more widespread um, proliferation of the virus through aged care homes. It's not just one or two. It's, um, it's many, many aged care homes now. The other factor is, is that, it's been exacerbated by a very casual, insecure workforce. And this is a national issue in Australia. And this was an issue long before the virus. But what this virus does is that it kind of highlights issues and really puts a spotlight on them, issues that were around long before the, the virus was, was a problem. Um, we have people who, in order to make ends meet, need to work across different aged care homes. They can't just work one job. Um, those people often don't have very good paid leave entitlements they don't have sick leave entitlements so if they're sick they keep working 
they can't afford to stay home or to get a COVID test and then wait for the result of that test. And so this insecure workforce has really been um, a, a topic of national focus here. And that's another factor that's really led to a lot of this, this second wave, as we call it. It kind of feels like this epic marathon and, and a lot of the other restaurateurs that I speak to feel pretty much the same, that there's this kind of ever-changing landscape that we're having to face. It's, it's not just how it will affect us now, it'll, it's how it will affect us in the future. You know, everyone's got rent to pay. There's a sense of devastation. I, I think people are genuinely concerned about how long they can continue to operate. That's the first part of last Monday morning's front burner from CBC News. Uh, segment number two coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM. You're listening to After Nine. Hi, I'm Matt Kaplan, Planetary Radio's host and producer. Bill Nye and the rest of us at the Planetary Society are thrilled to be on CFIS. We hope you'll join us as we travel the solar system and beyond. You'll hear the explorers, scientists, and creative minds that are taking humanity beyond our lovely homeworld as they look for life and intelligence elsewhere in the cosmos. That's Planetary Radio, Wednesday nights at 8, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. As part of the city's budget, Council has approved important service enhancements aimed at increasing community health, well-being and safety, particularly in the downtown. Six areas are being enhanced, police services, bylaw services, contracted security, funding for homeless service hubs, improved parkade lighting, security and cleaning, and additional staff and equipment in public works. More information on the city's service enhancements to improve health and safety for all is available through the news link at princegeorge.ca. The award-winning digital research project BC Artists is now available online for free public access. BC Artists is a research tool to find published information about visual artists who were active in BC from the 1700s to today. The information is invaluable to appraisers, archivists, artists, and anyone interested in the visual art history of our province. Free access to this valuable database of information is available online through the BC Artists links at sim-publishing.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, a mix of sun and cloud. Wind from the southwest 20K gusting to 40 this afternoon, a high of 30 with a high UV index. Tonight, partly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers early this evening with a risk of thunderstorms clearing overnight, a low of 11. On Tuesday, sunny, increasing cloudiness in the afternoon with wind from the southwest at 30 gusting to 50, a 60% chance of showers and a risk of thunderstorms with a high of 23. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And here is the second part of last Monday morning's front burner from CBC News. Obviously, the situation there is very dire, and people are, are worried about what's coming next. But Australia's numbers are actually kind of incredibly small compared to much of the rest of the world. Even in Canada, our population, I guess, is about 12 million more than Australia but we've had over 9,000 COVID-related deaths, and Australia has had about 300. Considering that, why are these very strict measures being brought in, and what are experts saying the risks are with this the second wave? How, how are they saying how bad this could get? Now that we have this strict, what we call stage four lockdown in most of the state, um, the, the entire state is either in stage three or stage four lockdowns, stage four being a little bit more strict. Um, there is 
a lot of talk that the numbers should come down within about 10 to 14 days. If we had have stayed as we were before, so with the most of the state under just stage three lockdowns, um, there was talk that we wouldn't start seeing a drop in cases for about six or seven months. We would have maintained this four or 500 cases a day um, total. Now, what governments look at is really um, how can the health system cope? What numbers are required for the health system to feel overwhelmed? And already we have something terrible happening in the healthcare system. We thought at the beginning of this pandemic that our problem was going to be intensive care beds uh, and the number of ventilators. And in fact, um, we've all been blindsided by the fact that our problem is workforce. There are 994 healthcare workers who have the infection as I speak to you. Um, that's just the ones that with an active infection. Many, many more are now at home isolating because they've been in contact with a healthcare worker one of their colleagues. So the health system can't cope with a lot of cases and that's what authorities were worried about. It doesn't really matter what's happening everywhere else in the world or how many cases or deaths are, are of concern elsewhere. Can our health system cope? And it was very clear that our health system was not going to cope. If this virus gets out of control, then no amount of preparation will have us ready. And that's when the risks will go up for everyone, not just health workers, but particularly for patients. So it really means that every single uh, Victorian, even people in Sydney, we all have to be incredibly careful and we have to do all of the right things. Melbourne's been in stage four lockdown now for about a week. Can you describe what it's like living in those circumstances under those types of strict measures? Yeah, it's a really good question because initially Australia was kind of all in lockdown at the same time or, you know, the different states and territories were doing things slightly differently depending on their numbers. But overall, it was very much, it felt like it was a very similar approach. But we've seen these kind of isolating of different suburbs, different areas in Victoria and now Victoria is kind of very different to the rest of Australia, which is opening up. I mean, if you look at somewhere like Western Australia, people are living like normal. They're going to the beach. They're going to the gym. Um, there, there are some restrictions still in place, but compared to what we're under here, it's very different. So there's less of a, a feeling that nationally um, we're all in it together. The newest measures in Victoria as well are ripping about $10 billion out of the nation's economy. Now, what that means is a lot of job losses. It means a lot of pain, a lot of unemployment, um, and there's a mental health crisis going on here right now. I mean, on Sunday, the Premier, Daniel Andrews, announced a massive mental health package for the state. People aren't coping. So, you know, this is the moment where we have to support each other. Uh, mental health is an immensely important thing uh, and recognising that so many people are going through uh, perhaps the most difficult time in their lives. I think the mental health fallout uh, is a scary one and, and I think we're going to see unfold. And of course, once uh, your mental health is affected, it has long-term ramifications. Um, the number of people presenting to emergency departments for self-harm across all age groups is up 9.5% on the same time last year. Um, there's been a particularly sharp rise in young people. So people under 18, that's up 33%.
people are um, struggling with remote learning, if you're um, someone who's vulnerable, you're not having access to the same support services and the same people, it's really, really tough. People are losing their jobs. We're seeing um, for sale or auction signs on businesses. Even when I go for my hour of exercise that I'm allowed each day within a five-kilometre radius, um, I notice each day a different auction sign up on a business. So it's changing neighbourhoods. Some will have to modify their operations and some will have to close down altogether. It will mean potentially thousands of more Victorian jobs will go. The next six weeks are going to be hard, but I guess the last three or four months are going to be hard. We'll do everything we possibly can for our staff members. We want to keep them employed. and But, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety within small business at the moment. These businesses won't bounce back. There'll be re- no reopening in a few weeks' time. And I guess that's what's changed, right? Like, the first time around it felt like that although there were some businesses who would be permanently harmed, overall it felt like a short-term thing that many would bounce back They'd go to takeaway for a while or they would just move to online and then things would get back on track. And there's this feeling now that will we ever get back on track? Not when, but but will we? The measures in place are unprecedented in your state. I noted Victoria's Chief Medical Officer, Brett Sutton, described the measures as shock and awe which is interesting because it's such a militaristic reference. Some shock and awe here uh, for people to genuinely understand uh, that it's a, um, it's a super challenging phase that we're in. And I wonder, with these curfews and increased patrolling, if there are those there who are worried about civil liberties and this type of police and military presence. Absolutely. Um, I wrote a story about this, actually, um, speaking to different public health experts, infectious disease experts, about whether there's any evidence that, you know, fines, lockdowns, curfews will have any impact on this virus, especially when you consider what's driving it, which is an insecure workforce. Um, So these measures won't change that. The other thing is, is that this virus is really out of control in aged care and it's really out of control in healthcare. Those people still have to work. Those people still have to go in and care for COVID-19 patients. So unless you really start honing in on those different workplaces, um, it will be difficult. However, we do know that measures like social distancing, shutting down um, you know, businesses, making sure people stay inside, um, getting tested, hand washing, they are very effective and, and they are expected to bring the virus numbers down. There's no question that those measures were needed. Whether or not sending out police is the right way to do it, that's what's under question. At the moment, if you test positive for COVID-19, you can expect random door knocks from police or the Australian Defence Force. If you're not home, you're referred to police. So if they're not at home, they'll be subject to a $5,000 fine. And if the matter goes to court, the maximum penalty is around the $20,000 mark. They will be subject to repeated random door knocks, and that's going to apply to their close contacts as well. If you are outside and you're not wearing a mask or if you're out when you shouldn't be because you've got COVID-19, you face a $5,000 fine, which is unprecedented. It's the highest fine you can get for an individual on the spot fine in the state. So there is some talk from some people that perhaps this will deter people from, from getting tested. 
if you get tested and you test positive and then you're in the health system and you can expect people to knock at your door, you're subject to fines, then that may be a deterrent. Um, and I think that there is real concern about that approach. But we know that when government's under pressure and when you're the only state in the entirety of Australia that's struggling with COVID-19, you are a government under pressure, they revert back to law and order. It's a tale as old as time. And that's what we're seeing as part of the response right now. You know, I, I know, Melissa, here personally, we're, we're in summer months and you're in winter there and already... I'm panicking about the winter months and what that means in terms of isolation. Has that impacted at all the the change in um, in seasons in terms of entering phase four at this time? Yeah, it does in a couple of ways. I mean, we're still learning about how this virus acts and whether or not perhaps it, the spread is worse and more severe in winter. So that's one element, but also the mental health element. I mean, Melbourne is such a cultural, vibrant city. It's known for its, um, its theatre and its plays and its sports and its bars and its restaurants. And that's kind of how we collectively cope with winter in Victoria. We huddle together in bars or we go to the football and we, we sit in these, in these large sporting venues all huddled together and, um, it's such a different place when you can't do any of that. It's just gray and cold. And, and I think that plays into the mental health as well. We are known here in this state for having a really vibrant art sector. That sector has been decimated with COVID-19. So again, I, I just wonder whether we'll be the same city once we come out of all of this. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Before we go, some Canadian COVID-19 news. On Saturday, thousands of people marched through the streets of Montreal to protest the province's rules requiring masks to be worn in any indoor public spaces. They carried signs and chanted slogans about how they felt like mandatory masks infringed on their freedom. From their own liberty, so the idea of it's their own body, their own choice, and the government should stay away from that, to various a disbelief of actual the severityness of the COVID-19 pandemic. This comes at a time when, according to Quebec's public health director, Dr. Horatio Arruda, the province is on the cusp of its own possible second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. The province has been, thus far, the hardest hit of any in the country, with over 5,600 deaths, which is almost two-thirds of all the COVID-19-related deaths in Canada. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening to FrontBurner. See you tomorrow. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is last Monday morning's FrontBurner from CBC News. You can also catch FrontBurner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Standing by, Sharon Hurd with a couple of interviews uh, to help finish off today's After 9.
Tree fungus casts are the treasure hunted for in Spores of Joy, a BC Cultures Day project from Sebastian Nicholson. The casts have been painted by community members and placed in locations around the city. Starting Friday, new fungi can be found in the heart area. Go to SebastianNicholson.com to find the treasure maps, then find the fungi, take a selfie and post it on Instagram with the hashtag Spores of Joy. Spores of Joy, part of Kids Arts Days in Prince George, starting Friday in the the heart. Spend some quiet time surrounded by nature and learn more about Canada's forest regions at Good Sur Nature Park. Located in Salmon Valley, the Good Sur Nature Park is a botanical conservatory featuring multiple walking trails leading by hundreds of botanical displays with signage and detailed information. Guided tours are available and admission is by donation. For more information or to book a group visit, go online to goodsurnaturepark.ca or tourismpg.com. Putting on a mask to help prevent the spread of COVID-19 may seem like a simple process, but there are a number of things to remember to ensure maximum effectiveness. Do not wear the mask under your nose. Don't wear a mask that is too large or too loose. Don't wear a mask inside out. Do not share masks with other people and don't reuse disposable masks. Also, wet or dirty masks will be less effective than clean and dry ones. For more health and safety mask use tips, visit ccohs.ca. YMCA's annual Strong Kids fundraising campaign aims to raise $60,000 to provide opportunities for children, youth, and families in northern B.C. This year's fifth annual Megathon fundraiser raised over $10,000. The Y has unveiled their 2019 donor wall, and the 2020 campaign is underway. To donate to this year's campaign, visit ymca.ca slash donate. The YMCA of northern B.C. and the Strong Kids campaign. Donate today. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And here is Sharon Hurd and her interview from last Tuesday afternoon's Senior Moments program with Donna Flood from the Prince George Hospice Society. I wanted to get a hold of you to see um, how the fundraising is going. Well, as you know that uh, we haven't been able to do any of our events or any of that, and yeah. we would have normally had the bucket list coming up yes. and all of that fun stuff, but uh, we have our dream home lottery, you yes. know, and honest to goodness, we have been so blessed with people buying tickets this year, the um, 50-50s already well past 90000 Oh. So I'm um, hoping that's going to hit 150,000, and that's going to be pulled September 25th, right? Mm-hmm. So, wow. So we're, we're just sort of really sort of um, reaching out, asking people, buy 50-50 tickets. They're $25 and literally 150,000 take home. <laughs> and then once we give that away, it's going to be so good, we're going to do it again, and we're going to have a second 50-50. Now, how's the Dream Home Lottery coming? That's going to be, when does that get drawn? That's in the fall, too, isn't it? No. No. That is Christmas Eve. Right. Yes. No yes. Christmas present. Somebody's Christmas Eve um, exciting. I'll even probably have a catered turkey dinner ready for them. <laughs> Very good. Now, the lottery, are they $100? They are $100. But, again, you know, that $100 goes a long way. It really does help support the work we do. And we've talked about this a lot, Sharon, mm-hmm. that um, we rely on donations and things like the lottery to do what we do at Hospice House. So 
it makes a difference and um, it gives people that extra comfort at end of life in their family. So. And we were really, uh, we really enjoyed meeting uh, and interviewing uh, your two staff people the last time. Catherine and Faye, that yeah. was fun. They had a lot of fun. They're awesome. Yeah. You know what? And when we talk about hospice, that's hospice. Those yes. are the people. Yes. And those are the people that are hostess for sure. Yeah. And and they were so comfortable and so open and really let us have an an eye into the daily work that you have to do and um and, and I think that's really important. Well, and, and yeah, because they hear so much fundraising, we're doing this, we're doing that, but that's not what we do for a living. What we do for a living is we care for families and friends and people when they're dying and you know as unique as everyone lives, mm-hmm. people uniquely die, you know, so we need to be agile, we need to adjust, we need to sometimes just sit and hold a hand, mm-hmm. um, especially so someone can go out and maybe have a coffee with a friend, we can hold the person's hand for an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what a difference that makes. And not only that, but with the COVID, the staff are doing more of the hand-holding because the family can't come in. Uh, absolutely. You know, our whole thing is no one dies alone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so they, you know, have to go and do that. But honest to goodness, it, it's the part of the job that draws our staff in, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they love about what they do. They, they they have a connection with everybody that comes in that house. And we don't get that opportunity in healthcare anymore. So nurses and carers. You know, we're sometimes too busy. We make sure that we're never too busy for that. And is there a rule that only one family member can come in, just that same family member, or do you have um, the ability to have more than one family member? We we allow two at a time. Okay. Um, unless they're eminently dying, and then you will allow households together. So if I, if you're a family father, you're living together in a house, mm-hmm. you can go be with your grandma. Right. So, but the other thing I don't know if they told you, we have this absolutely beautiful tent. Yes. So families can be together in the tent, Mm -hmm. so they can be together comforting each other as they go in one by one to visit. I thought it was absolutely brilliant that that could happen. I guess it's nursing homes. I'm I'm hearing that only one family member is is appointed to go in. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's the hardship of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're, they're different yes. from us in the sense that we really have to protect our nursing homes. We've seen how dangerous. Oh, yes. But the other thing, though, just to back to the tent, we had a celebration of life yesterday. Oh. And so this family got to all be together, and then they hooked up with Blake Production, and they were streaming people in from all over. So it was... It was beautiful. Oh, my goodness. They were able to be together and be safe and be COVID compliant and still see each other and share stories and memories. It's honest to goodness, Sharon, when I found the tent, I never could have dreamed it would be so well received and used. It was awesome. And so important. I mean, these days you're hearing these such sad stories about um, the grandmother being in the home and the people standing outside looking in the window. And, oh, it just drags my heart out of my chest. I know. Well, and the thing is, and because in 
in long-term cases that people die suddenly and unexpectedly mm-hmm. and, and they've just never been able to connect and it's, yeah, and I think that's what sort of drew us to even the idea of the tent was we, we saw that even in our parking lot, right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, we can do better. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so pleased for that because, I mean, this is, this is it. This is it. And we have to either say our goodbyes or ask for our forgiveness or or say maybe things that we haven't said in the past. It's an opportunity for a whole bunch of different things. The idea of having a, a video conference thing in there is really great. <laughs> well, well you, you know what? I think that we also have to, to know our, our lives are, are going to be interrupted for a long time. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to be able to maybe race home, you know, to Edmonton when someone dies. But mm-hmm. at least we can look at things differently and we can still have that human connection, even if it is through yeah. video. Yeah. Um, doing nothing is never the right thing to no, do. No, it isn't. And uh, Catherine was, has been there for, what, 25 years or something? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, she started out as a volunteer. Uh-huh. And I, uh, before my time, so I won't take credit for Catherine, um, <laughs> but I think that she just exuded the heart of hospice. And, you know, what she cares for is our volunteers. Oh, Vol- yes. The volunteers, like... They are more precious than the money in the sense that we couldn't do what we do without the volunteers. Right. And she just cares and loves those volunteers, and they love her, and Mm. it really is what allows us to do what we do. And the other, um, Faye, she really, you know, I asked her why she uh, got to be interested in it, and she really shared quite openly and honestly why she she became a volunteer, and now she's uh, taken over the uh, grief and loss group. Yeah, you know what? A lot of people are drugs. A lot of people have a story. Yes. You know, and that's what's sort of drawn to hospice is, you know, either they don't have a very good story. Yep. Yes. Or they have a beautiful story and they want to be able to share that with others. I think that, um, you know, we, we need to put as much thought and planning and support into how people die as we do into how people are born, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we so get out and make plans, birth plans, support our, our maternity wards and our mothers, you know, death is just that extension, and we need to have that honored in the same way. That's Sharon Heard and her discussion with Donna Flood from the Prince George Hospice Society, as first heard on our Senior Moments program last Tuesday afternoon here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we have another interview she did last Tuesday. Uh, coming up in a moment, Sharon Heard with Catherine Burke from the Best Western Plus. Due to the ongoing pandemic, Canada Post has adjusted their hours of operations. Offices operated by Canada Post are open one hour later and closed one hour earlier each day. Also, the first hour of opening will have priority service for those at risk of the pandemic. Offices operated by franchisees will implement their own hours. Parcels at the post office for pickup will not be returned to sender until further notice. And Canada Post asks that customers pay using the tap function on their cards 
whenever possible. Due to the ongoing pandemic, Canada Post has changed their parcel delivery practices. At your door, postal employees will knock or ring, choose the safest location to leave the item, then depart for the next address. Items requiring proof of age, ID, or customs payments will be sent to a retail post office for pickup. Packages will no longer be subject to the normal 15-day hold period and will not be returned to sender until further notice. Canada Post reminds everyone to practice social distancing when visiting any postal outlet. With the current pandemic situation, the St. Vincent de Paul Society is in urgent need of volunteers to help provide nourishment for the less fortunate in Prince George. Volunteers will be asked to work a three-hour shift once or twice a week in a safe environment. To help out or for more information, call Randy at 250-565-7906. That's St. Vincent de Paul urgently in need of volunteers. Call Randy at 250-565-7906. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, a mix of sun and cloud. Wind for the southwest 20K gusting to 40 this afternoon, a high of 30 with a high UV index. Tonight, partly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers early this evening with a risk of thunderstorms clearing overnight, a low of 11. On Tuesday, sunny, increasing cloudiness in the afternoon with wind from the southwest at 30 gusting to 50, a 60% chance of showers and a risk of thunderstorms with a high of 23. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And here is Sharon Hurd and her interview with Catherine Burke uh, from the new Best Western Plus up on the hill. Best Western Plus is uh, off Highway 16, just past College Heights, and it's brand new. And I want to know about it. <laughs> sure. Thanks for the great introduction, Sharon. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so we are the brand new Best Western Plus Prince George, and uh, you're absolutely right. We're just up College Heights, just a couple minutes past uh, where you turn off to go to the Walmart shopping complex. Mm -hmm. uh, we are what we call a soft opening right now, which means we have two full floors open uh, for guests, mm -hmm. and we have our fitness centers open. Um, right now, the pool is not quite open. We're uh, pending a visit from our local health authority. There's some backups, I guess, with everybody and COVID. And, oh, yes. Uh, they'll, yeah, but we'll, yeah. we'll get to that as soon as we can. Um, we, we hope to have a restaurant in place coming in the near future um, with COVID. Unfortunately, the focus was shifted away from our restaurant um, just because the goal was finishing the hotel and getting the rooms open. Uh, we've kind of, yeah, delayed the, the full installation of the restaurant, but uh, there, there, there will be a restaurant coming soon. Right now for our guests, so we are doing a modified grab-and-go bagged breakfast. So everybody, it's not the famous Best Western Plus hot breakfast. It's just a, just a modified version of it. But uh, we have those bags ready to go and uh, placed in our cooler in the lobby so everyone can help themselves on their way out. How nice. Now, is the restaurant going to be on that building at the very end of the west, like the west end of the building? Right. So that west end is actually the pool uh, oh. area. So the restaurant itself is uh, right when you come into the lobby area, mm -hmm. you'll see a beautiful big rock feature fireplace. Oh. And then the restaurant is uh, just behind that. Are you open for tours? <laughs> for, for tours, absolutely. We would be interested in... 
yeah, in kind of finding out what uh, what people were were wanting to to get from our hotel. We would love to have people come in and take a look around. I'd be happy to show anybody. We actually had Lucky Lou's. Um, I'll say hi to Susan Olson if she's uh, listening. She came in for a, a little bit of a walk around just a few minutes ago. Oh, cool. Well, I was thinking uh, maybe the senior centers. You know, they, some of the seniors' homes have the buses. We have a seniors' tea in town. And I thought to myself, I wonder if uh, Best Western would host a seniors' tea once you get things going anyway that's just my suggestion <laughs> yeah no that, that's a it's, a it's a great suggestion um i think 200 seniors might be a little bit more than we could than we could accommodate but um you, we could we could definitely discuss it i'm open yep. to trying to make something work and maybe if we did some sittings or just Yes, you know, brought in thirty people at a time. Maybe we could rotate that and make it a fun day out for everybody. For sure. But I yep. would, yeah, definitely be willing to talk about that. Now you've got two floors open, and mm-hmm. um, you've got a pool. It's just not open yet, but you've got a fitness center. What's in your fitness center? Some we handsome do. hunk that would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so our fitness center is actually quite. Uh, quite well appointed. Uh, there is a treadmill, a stationary bike, an elliptical machine. There's a full um, set of free weights. There's kettlebells, uh, resistance bands. There's a area for yoga and stretching. And then there's one of those uh, universal machines where they have the pulleys and the, the leg weights and you kind of use your own body weight as resistance so it's uh it's quite well appointed it's up on the second floor um and i'm just going to put it out there something that we're thinking about is uh at some point offering uh, memberships to people in our local area just because there's there's quite a bit of space so um Mm. yeah this is something that we're thinking about something that we'd like to offer at some point to our our local community i think that's a great idea and and yeah. so what floor is the plastic surgeon on again <laughs> the plastic surgeon yeah that's right but you know the royal york in toronto uh, the top floor is all owned by a plastic uh, and reconstructive surgeon who i happen oh. to know i haven't visited him he was just an intern when i knew him oh and Maybe he'll have to arrange a, one, one day a year to come out and do surgeries at our hotel. Imagine, imagine it. You go and stay at one of the ritziest hotels in Toronto, and, and you get a facelift while you're there. That's I think great. I think he's pretty he's pretty uh, amazing. Now, you've got a business center. Tell me what a business center is. Is that for um, meetings, like if I wanted to arrange a, a meeting of a group? Okay, so uh, at the hotel, the the business center is a little different. We Mm -hmm. do have one meeting room, Uh uh, but the business center itself is located off the lobby, and it's a place where uh, people can come down and do some work if they didn't want to be in their room. Uh, The way we have it set up is that there's a separate little area. There's two stations that have two desktop computers, and then there's one desk area that's open where somebody if they wanted to plug in their laptop Mm -hmm. and then they would be able to work there there's some task lighting there's a three-in-one printer photocopier fax machine and then yeah if people need further services they can certainly come up to the front desk uh, and ask for some some assistance now you have a you've got wi-fi in the room and um you sir you do you bring breakfast to the room or do you have it downstairs 
Yeah, when, well, when uh, we do. So, yeah, Wi-Fi is throughout the hotel, and that's all included in the rate. We have both wired and wireless Wi-Fi throughout. Okay. Um, as for the breakfast, um, right now we have it set up all prepared the night before in the cooler right. down at the front desk area. Yeah. Um, no, nobody has asked yet, but mm-hmm. we would be more than happy to deliver it up to the room. If somebody preferred to, to eat in their room, we would just ask what time they would like that, and we would be happy to run it up. Um, we have had a couple of people just choose to sit in the restaurant area and mm-hmm. eat their bagged breakfast. Oh, so sure. Yeah. Lots of options. Yeah. And then you have, um, so there's a work area in the room. Um, are they like two beds in the room or just yeah. one? So we have a, a combination. We have uh, several different room types. All of the rooms do have a desk mm-hmm. uh, with a proper desk light, a plug-in for wired internet connection. Um, some of our rooms are your standard uh, guest room with two queen beds. We have a standard guest room with one king bed. We have some larger, what we call a mini suite, which would have one queen, sorry, two queens or one king. These rooms have two TVs. There's a little separated living area. Oh. Uh, yeah, and then we have, we have one VIP suite that mm-hmm. has... Uh, it's beautifully appointed. It's got two bathrooms. There's the living area with a full kitchen, countertop, wow. bar stool seating. And then in the bedroom, there's a jacuzzi tub, fireplace, and a second bathroom. Wow. And then we have our honeymoon suite, which is a, kind of an open concept room. There is a partition wall, so not completely separate, but mm-hmm. it has a jacuzzi tub, balcony, fireplace, and it's a nice, nice wow. cozy room as well. And then we also have two loft rooms, which has a bed downstairs and then a stairway going up to the top. And there's another queen-size bed upstairs. So got a little bit of different room types, a little something for everybody. Well, i got to come and have a look. And no, oh, no bubble bath in the jacuzzi. You can. You, and then, yeah, we can have a have a dip and maybe get some wine brought up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. And yeah. then you've got dry cleaning if people need it. And yeah, you, so you have our, a... our hotel. We actually have two self serve washer and dryer, so oh. two laundry rooms at the hotel. And then we have uh, an arrangement with uh, Sunset Dry Cleaners just up the road from yeah. us. If anybody needs dry cleaning or pressing uh, done, and that's a, a same-day service. As long as we get it uh, picked up by about 8.30 in the morning, it'll be back that afternoon. Very nice. And mm-hmm. um, now, uh, can we talk about rates? Yeah, absolutely we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so our starting rate right now, we've opened with a rate of $119 mm-hmm. for a standard room with two queens or one king. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you know, depending if you're a there's, we have corporate rates available. We have uh, we do have a seniors discount available, uh, BCAA or AARP. Um, best bet is to just call the hotel directly, and we can kind of ask those questions and figure out uh, what rate is going to best suit uh, best suit your needs. Now, do you have um, areas for wedding receptions, those kind of things? Um, yeah, we. Just because right now our, our, our meeting room is quite small, mm-hmm. um, I I think that we could certainly entertain that um, at some point once we get the restaurant up and running and know what we can provide in terms of, you know, catering and a menu. Um, but I, I certainly think that we could do a, a small 
wedding at some point, that would be be something really exciting. Maybe a small divorce, too. Oh, a small divorce, yeah. <laughs> some of us want to celebrate. <laughs> I was just going to say, maybe we should celebrate the divorces more often. It's usually a good thing. I think so. And then, um, finally, the Best Western Rewards card. Now, what, what does that benefit us? Sure. So Best Western Rewards, uh, it's their their loyalty program. Every hotel has one. Uh, there's different uh, levels of membership, all based on how many nights per year that you're staying at the Best Western properties. Um, the, really, the one that separates our program from the others is that the points never expire. Uh-huh. There's no uh, rush to book a stay within a year because then you're not going to get them back. The points literally never expire. Um, they also, we have one of the lowest thresholds for redemption. You only have to have 5,000 points mm-hmm. in order to book a free night at, at most properties, mm-hmm. um, whereas some of the other programs, you need to have thousands and thousands of points. Um, you basically earn 500 points every time you have a stay, so it those 500 points add up a lot quicker than than some of the other uh, competing uh, hotel reward programs. Now, how do they get a hold of you, Catherine? So, if anybody is interested in talking to me, you can call the hotel directly. The phone number is 250-964-8833. And you can ask for me, Catherine Burke. I'm the general manager. Um... Sharon, I can give out my email address. Sure, it's quite yeah. long. Sure. So my email address is general yep. and then M like mother, G like George, R like Romeo at and then Best Western Plus P G like Prince George yep. dot com. So general M G R at Best Western Plus P G dot com bit of a tongue twister (laughs) (laughs) and then if people want to uh, have a look more go on your website i really appreciate you giving us this time and i really want to come and have a look at the couple of those rooms (laughs) oh i would i would love to share it honestly please uh you know where to reach me Um, I i i would be more than happy to to take you around and quite frankly show off our hotel a little bit uh we've got yeah lots of good good feedback from our guests who have stayed and everybody says that it's a really really nice looking hotel and it is uh, yeah might be a little biased but i i tend to agree <laughs> with them so as heard last Tuesday afternoon on our Senior Moments program, that is Catherine Burke from the new Best Western Plus in conversation with Sharon Hurd. We'll be back to wrap in a moment here on After 9. The Prince George Bruce Kings are giving back with their Buy One, Gift One voucher promotion. Buy a $10 voucher for a Spruce Kings regular season game, and for each purchase, the Spruce Kings will gift a voucher to a local essential worker in thanks for their efforts. For full details on the Buy One, Gift One voucher promotion, visit sprucekings.bc.ca. The Buy One, Gift One voucher promotion from your Prince George Spruce Kings. Giving back to our local heroes. The Canadian Centre for Occupational Health and Safety has some tips for people operating place of worship during the current pandemic. Among the suggestions, post signs reminding people about physical distancing, hand hygiene and respiratory etiquette, mark or block off alternating parking spaces, do not hold services which include food or beverages, and try posters or projecting information on a screen instead of using handouts. For more tips on pandemic-related health and safety, visit ccohs.ca.
The government of Canada has started the gradual resumption of some passport services in Canada. Passports can now be applied for by mail. Those in immediate need of a passport can request an in-person appointment. Those without current travel plans are asked to wait before applying for a passport. Processing times are expected to be longer than normal due to high demand and current protocols taken to keep Government of Canada employees safe. For more information, visit Canada.ca or follow Passport Canada on Facebook or Twitter. Many BC students in lower income households do not have reliable access to computers, laptops or internet at home and require technology loans from their schools for remote learning. London Drugs and the BC Technology Learning Society are asking for donations of reusable laptops, computers, monitors and keyboards that can be restored in time for the new school year. Devices can be dropped at the London Drugs Tech Service Desk and the technicians will do a complete data wipe before restoration. Full details on the Tech Drive program are available at londondrugs.com. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca.